Hello dear listener, a very warm welcome to you from wherever you're listening from. Coming to you live from the heart of Nairobi, this is Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. The program is New Life and I am your presenter, Monica Kamokwa. Thank you for joining us today. Lydia Chieng will start us off in the Family Life segment with the topic, Finishing Well. Then in the Bible segment, Ian Muse will be joining us to talk about the Christian fight. But before we get to that, let's first get the song, Chakutu Mainisina by Kibera Youth Choir. Enjoy. Chakutu Mainisina, inodemu yoke mokosi, sino wilmo wakutusha, tamizangu. Ni 
Welcome back dear listener that was Chakutumaini Sina by Kibera Youth Choir you're listening to the new live program on Adventist World Radio the voice of hope at this point Lydia Ching joins us with more on finishing well stay tuned and be on the new Dear listener, welcome to today's Family Life program. I'm your presenter, Lydia Aching. Today we'll talk about finishing well. There aren't as many good examples of married couples who finish well their life mission together in marriage. Ruth and evangelist Billy Graham are one of those now rare couples. When his wife of 64 years died, this is what her husband Billy was quoted as saying. Ruth Graham was my life partner. and we were called by God as a team no one else could have borne the load that she carried she was a vital and integral part of our ministry and my work through the years would have been impossible without her encouragement and support i will miss her terribly and look forward even more to the day i can join her in heaven when news came to us several years ago of ruth bell graham's death we decided that one day we would dedicate a marriage message to her and her husband Their 64-year marriage is such a wonderful example of how two people who are both very different from each other, each strong and opinionated in their own ways, made their marriage work in an amazing way. To a world that needs examples of married couples who remain faithful to God and to each other for their entire married lives, we rejoice that we've had such an example to observe. The following are quotes from various sources. that give testimony to a marriage devoted to the glory of God. From the time I was a small girl, I knew my mother and daddy loved each other. It was obvious. Each time daddy entered the room, mother's eyes lit up and I knew that she felt her heart rise within her. He was quick to hold her close, grasp her hand, or give her a tender kiss. It was clear to all that they adored one another and were in love. Sometimes unobserved by us there were disagreements afterward mother would share with her pen nights can be so very long when hearts are far that should be near however mother and daddy have allowed their differences to strengthen their relationship mother and daddy came from quite different backgrounds daddy was raised on a north carolina dairy farm and mother thousands of miles away in china They have different personalities, strengths, ideas and ways of doing things. But mother is fond of saying if two people agree on everything, one of them is unnecessary. These are words by Gigi Graham, their daughter. The following shows her funny sense of humor. Raised as a Presbyterian, Ruth Graham had no experience in submitting to a husband's authority the way the evangelist who was reared in a southern baptist family expected ruth once was driving and hit the accelerator instead of the brake sending her car crashing through a fence nobody was hurt but in a phone call from california billy graham demanded that she surrender her driver's license 
Ruth argued with him, standing her ground according to an account in the Asheville NC Citizen Times. After a long moment of silence, Billy Graham said, I don't recall reading in scripture that Sarah ever talked to Abraham like this. Ruth Graham retorted, Well, I don't recall reading in scripture that Abraham ever tried to take Sarah's camel away from her. Ruth and I don't have a perfect marriage, but we have a great one. In a perfect marriage, everything is always the finest and best imaginable, like a Greek statue. The proportions are exact and the finish is unblemished. Who knows any human beings like that? For a married couple to expect perfection in each other is unrealistic. The unblemished ideal exists only in happily ever after fairy tales. I think there is merit to a description I once read of a married couple as happily incompatible. Ruth likes to say, if two people agree on everything, one of them is unnecessary. The sooner we accept that as a fact of life, the better we will be able to adjust to each other and enjoy togetherness. That was spoken by Billy Graham. I pity the married couple who expect too much from one another. It is a foolish woman who expects her husband to be to her that which only Jesus Christ himself can be, ready to forgive, totally understanding, unendingly patient, invariably tender and loving, unfailing in every area, anticipating every need, and making more than adequate provision. Such expectations put a man under an impossible strain. The same goes for the man who expects too much for his wife. It is my job to love and respect Billy. It's God's job to make him good. God called you not to make your husband good, but to make him happy. You can learn from the marriage of Ruth and Billy Graham that a marriage between an independent woman and a man with a mission can last a lifetime, even though his travel schedule often kept them apart. I asked mother how she endured so many years of goodbye. She quoted a mountain man who said, Make the least of all that goes and the most of all that comes. When daddy had to leave, mother would summon the grace of an uncommon strength and with tears in her eyes kiss him goodbye. We all stood outside and waved as daddy's car made its way down the long driveway. When it rounded the last curb, mother sensing our sadness would push her own feelings aside to take our minds off daddy's departure. Well, she would say, let's clean the attic or let's go to the pound for a new dog or kitten. As I grew older, I realized that my parents' love for one another was deeper than just the look in their eyes each time one of them came into the room. Their love was based on more than their physical and emotional attraction. It was based on solid and compromising commitment, first to Jesus Christ, second to the institution of marriage, and then commitment to each other. My mother taught me by her example that Jesus is everything. He was the wellspring of her love and joy and peace that overflowed into our home. His presence was enough to ease the pain of her loneliness without daddy. His power was enough to get her through the day for all practical purposes as a single parent. I have no doubt that the reason I love Jesus and I love my Bible is because she did. She planted those seeds in my heart long ago. Recently, Mother was in the hospital. Daddy, also frail and not well, came to visit. I stood back and observed these two very dear lovers as he entered the room. Her eyes once again lit up as he made his way to her bedside. He tottered and almost lost his balance. Leaning over, he bent down and gently, tenderly kissed her. 
It was obvious that her desire and prayer as a young bride to never let it end God never had been answered. May we all, like Ruth Bell Graham, be an example of finishing well. Even if you've made mistakes in the past or are presently in a situation where you aren't doing things as you should, you can always make the choice to repent and finish well. If your marriage partner doesn't decide to do the same, that should still never stop you from finishing your part of the mission well. It will just make it more difficult. But even then, God specializes in helping us with the difficult. This material is provided by Marriage Missions International. Until next time, God bless you. of you who are just joining us. This is the New Life Program with me, Monica Kamoko, your host, coming to you live from the Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. Always a pleasure to have you with us. You haven't missed a lot. If you wish to drop comments, suggestions, or questions, do so through the producer, Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 42276, code 00100, Nairobi, Kenya. Or email us at awrnairobi at eku.adventist.org. Now that that is off the way, here is a song, Si Kwamatendo, by Kibera Youth Choir. You're listening to the new live program coming to you live from the heart of Nairobi. This is Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. As if he were born away to the part of a golf pocket, Ameli Pondin is hotel to the summer, he was as if he My dear listener, thanks for choosing our station. We are because you are. And now, please join me as I welcome Ian Muse for the Bible segment. He will be telling us more on the Christian fight. Be blessed.
I greet you, dear listener, in the name of Jesus. Welcome to our study today in Field at the Feet of Jesus. The topic of our study is the Christian fight. The Bible depicts countless battles, from Genesis to Revelation. Its pages reveal that there are both physical and spiritual wars raging. Physical wars have dominated history's attention from the time Cain killed his brother Abel right down to the present day. This should not surprise us, for Jesus predicted, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, for nations arise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. Matthew chapter 24 verse 6 to 7. However, the primary focus of scripture is the ongoing conflict between Christ and Satan. Revelation speaks that what began as a cosmic war in heaven will soon end in Armageddon. In this showdown between the forces of good and the powers of evil, truth and light are under constant attack from the deception and darkness. And like it or not, every single one of us is involved. The battleground for this intense spiritual struggle is not some piece of earthly real estate. It is the human heart. Both Jesus and the devil are supremely interested in winning possession of our minds and hearts. For this reason, Christians are called to be more than peaceful spectators or mediators in this cataclysmic conflict. We must be committed frontline commanders. God has designed that all the literal battles recorded in the Bible, from Gideon's conflict with the Midianites to David's defeat of Goliath, can serve to teach us how we might experience victory in spiritual combat. Naturally, it will stand to reason that because these battles are of a spiritual nature, the weapons we employ must also be spiritual. This is why Paul reminds us, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 Although our armor and weapons are spiritual, this does not mean they are unreal or ineffective. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 3 to 4. Paul also makes it clear that the Christians committed to his cause and commanders should be as real and complete as for any earthly soldier. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 to 4, New King James Version. God's armor, not man's. The first time I did a study on the armor of God, I looked up all the Bible references to armor, searching for passages that will support and enhance the importance of wearing armor when charging off into battle. I was a bit disappointed to find that Saul's armor did not fit David and that Goliath's armor was useless against David's stone. I also discovered that a stray arrow found a crack in Ahab's armor, killing the wicked king. So much for the value of armor, I thought. But then I realized that we are not called to wear the faulty body armor of Saul, Ahab or Goliath. Rather, we must put on the unfailing armor of God. In fact, at the very moment that Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians, he might well have been chained to a soldier sporting the armor of the Roman Empire. Paul could see firsthand how frail the defenses of man were against the prince of darkness. This is why he twice emphasized the armor of God. 
It is also clear that Paul was expanding on the words of the Old Testament, Prophet Isaiah, who had made a similar spiritual association for two of the articles of armor. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate, and an helmet of salvation upon his head. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 17 Now that we have established that we are to wear the armor of God and not of man, we must be careful not to miss the admonition to wear all the articles God provides. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 cautions, Put on the wall armor of God. And Ephesians chapter 6 verse 13 declares, Wherefore, take unto you the wall armor of God. This is where many Christians fail. They take some of the armor but forget one or two parts of the suit and pay an eternal price for their neglect. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul attaches a spiritual association to seven implements of earthly armor. Let's consider each of these articles of defense one by one to see what we can learn. In Bible times, the girdle about the waist held together the soldier's garments, which might otherwise hamper his movements while marching or engaging in combat. The spiritual significance is that God does not simply want us to point at the truth. He wants us to wear it and have it wrapped about us. Not only does the belt hold everything in place, but it also serves to carry the sheath that holds the sword or the spirit for ready asses. Some people have the sword of God's word, but without the belt of truth, they come to reckless conclusions. Wearing the breastplate of righteousness is always in partnership with the robe of Jesus' righteousness. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. Job 29 verse 14 Also keep in mind that the high priest wore a golden breastplate over his linen robe that was set with twelve precious stones, each inscribed with one of the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. This place represented nearness to the heart. And Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart. Exodus 28 verse 29 The only way we can experience victory in battle against the devil is through confidence that the righteousness of Jesus covers our hearts and that we are forgiven. The sword of God's word is what Jesus used against the devil and it also gave the beast of Revelation 13 a deadly wound. Revelation 13 verse 3 to 14 When Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace but a sword. He was not saying that he, the Prince of Peace, had come to start wars. Matthew chapter 10 verse 34. Rather, he was pointing out that the sword of God's word has a dividing effect. Several times, this sword is depicted as having two edges. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. Then again in Revelation chapter 1 verse 16, the Bible says, He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. In closing, I want to assure you that although we are in a war, we need not fear. God's word tells us how the battle will end and who will be the final victor. The one who forged our armor guarantees its effectiveness and promises that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew chapter 16 verse 18 Listener, how can we stand? How can we fight? Paul gives us the answer in the beginning of our passage. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 Jesus said, 
without me ye can do nothing john chapter 15 verse 5 but we are also assured i can do all things through christ which strengthens me philippians chapter 4 verse 13 amen thank you for your time dear listener i was your presenter ian musa Thank you for staying tuned throughout the show. It is always a pleasure to have you with us. If you have any feedback about the show, you can get in touch through the producer Adventist World Radio PO Box 42276 code 00100 Nairobi Kenya or email us at awrnairobi@eku.adventist.org. And that brings us to the end of the show today. I have been your host Monica Kamokwa and until we meet again right here God bless you abundantly Yeah.